A quick note before we get started. This episode is part of a series of shows we recorded on the floor of the Phoenix Convention Center during the Association of Corporate Counsel's 2019 annual meeting. I wanted to point that out in case you're curious about the background noises. I also wanted to thank the ACC for helping make these episodes possible. Now, on with the show. Welcome, everyone, to the In-House Roundhouse, where in-house lawyers, outside counsel, and industry experts gather around to discuss current issues and best practices. I'm your host, Mark Enriquez, a commercial litigator with Womble Bond Dickinson. With me, as always, is my producer, Brian Ewing. Um, we have two important guests with us here today. Uh, my good friend, uh, John Grupp with Husvarna is uh, joining us. This is John's second appearance on the podcast. Thank you, John, for coming back. You're welcome. Thank you for asking me. Um, and I've also got Tracy Wall. She's also appeared on a podcast uh, with us before. Tracy is, uh, is from the UK. And before we started, Tracy, you were talking a little bit about your role on the board and also some of the uh, ethical issues with lawyers. Mm-hmm. You want to just tell our listeners a little bit about that? Because I know there'll be some differences from the UK perspective to the US. Yeah, sure. Very happy to, Mark. Thank you for having me again. We are really seeing an uptick in, in pressure from the regulator in the UK on lawyers, both in-house and in private practice, on the subject of code of conduct partly influenced by things like the Me Too campaign and other high-profile scandals involving lawyers. And they're really pushing on the ethical side of things, ethical conduct by lawyers in the way that they deal with their colleagues, in the way that they deal with their clients, in the way that they deal with their work, on a level we've never really seen before. And there's a whole new code of conduct, in fact, being rolled out in the UK right now, where our in-house GC, for example, is having to roll out a big stream of training to all of our people in our business. But that encompasses community initiatives because in engaging with the community you can still have to encounter ethical decisions and and dilemmas at times how we deal with our people how we craft our policies and how we just address the risk issues that we have with client and and, you know the work that kind of keeps us busy and keeps the lights on right so it's it's a broad theme but it's one which is really really topical right now interesting So uh, a survey published last year by the American Bar Association found that 81% of attorneys believe that pro bono services are important, and they find that most lawyers have performed some type of pro bono. That's the good news. We'll get to the less good news in the the next question. But uh, John, I know pro bono is something that's important to both of us, and we've both done some. I wanted to maybe start with talking about the why and ask each of you, why does it matter that we do pro bono work? John, why, why do you, I know you do it. Why? Why does it matter? Well, I think it's a couple of reasons. One, um, I mean, it's a little bit, you hear it often, but we are in a fortunate position mm. with, with what we do. <laughs> and there are a number of people in our community uh, that we encounter who are not as fortunate and don't have access to the legal representation that uh, a lot of folks do. And so in my view, it's important if we are going to be the folks who protect the law, you know, promote the law, that uh, we should also be those who are trying to help people get that access. So it's important to me in that regard. Um, I also think it's, it's a way to connect with your community. Mm-hmm. It's a way to help out. It's, yeah. it's, it's, you know, it's really a little bit cliched, I know, but it's all those things. Um, and you know, there is a selfish reason. You feel good. Right. Uh, there are times when we do what we do, and we do it every day, and you, you <laughs> get in a little bit of a routine, and it's nice to be able to sit down and connect with someone outside the law who may be not as familiar with what we do and have a chance to help them and see it right then uh, and be able to help them through a difficult situation. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and before I turn to you, Tracy, I just, I, I think that's true. The times I've done pro bono too, you see what kind of difference you can make uh, between someone that doesn't have uh, pro bono assistance. I, I think of a domestic violence thing I recently did for a woman who was a victim of domestic violence, concerned about her child, who's going to have custody, how is she going to get a protective order, never been to court, very afraid, scared, embarrassed, uncertain, and the ability to actually have someone that kind of knows the process and just says, we'll take you through, this is what's going to happen, this is what we can do. I mean, it's, it's a pretty profound impact. Um, yeah. And you, you don't realize it. You don't get that kind of personal impact in a lot of what, what you and I do, John, on a day-to-day basis. We may be excited about, you know, getting a favorable ruling on summary judgment in a big class action, and that has its own reward, but it's not typically at a very personal level. You've, you've done a good job for your client, they've saved money, or they've achieved a positive result, but, and there are obviously people behind the companies, but it is something different to have a mother and child, you know, that are going to be different and affected differently tomorrow, as opposed to a monetary decision. Well, and the stakes are different too. I mean, what we do is complicated. And sometimes I think we forget that Mm. because we do it day in and day out. Mm -hmm. Yes. And if you go down to the courthouse and you see what's going on, people have just really no idea. And to your point, their, their lives are on the line, their housing, their children, their income. And it's, it's frightening. And to be able to navigate that without a lawyer is almost impossible. And so it's really, I think it's kind of a, a duty we all have as becoming a lawyer that we should be investing in our communities and helping out in that way. Yeah, I, I, agree, can't agree. I can't agree more. I mean, I think, I think on, for me on a, on a personal level, it's, a, it's about the fact that whilst we have those very complex issues and some, some people in our business as lawyers, they're trained and they get that, but we also have many other people in our business who aren't lawyers, who are our business services professionals and they don't necessarily understand those court systems any more than the people outside our four walls right Mm so actually being able to send a message to them that we're engaging in the community in that way and that they feel that we're speaking perhaps to more of their needs or maybe some issues even that they would they would be able to point to in their own family situation where they see that as a possibly one of the largest employers in that in that locality actually you are you are still paying attention to to some of these smaller issues over here because they're, they're small, but they're really big to us. So I think on, on that level, it, it just sends a really powerful message as well to our own people that we've not become this big, faceless, careless behemoth of, of an employer, that we are still right. personable and we want to give something back. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I wanted to ask about something that I know we've struggled with some. I'm on the State Bar Council in North Carolina. And we were looking at the pro bono rules. For listeners that don't know, North Carolina has an aspirational uh, pro bono goal of 50 hours a year. Um, We recently started rewarding people that got that 50 hours. You get a nice little certificate Mm -hmm. signed by the chief justice, which is kind of nice to have and frame. But we don't have a requirement. Some jurisdictions have moved to a requirement of a certain number of hours, 25, 50 hours. I've seen both of those. That was pretty controversial in the at the state bar level with people saying, do we really want to mandate it? Are you going to discipline a lawyer that didn't put in, you know, the required number of hours? Um, I'm interested in your thoughts, John, should, you know, and then I want to see what they do in the UK because I actually don't know, Tracy. Um, but do you, what, do you have thoughts on whether pro bono should be mandatory? I think in an ideal world, it's not mandatory. People should want to do it. Mm. 
And I think if you make it mandatory, people will find a way to not do it and, and maybe right. find it's kind almost of fake it yeah, yeah, whatever, and, yeah. and they, they won't be doing it for the right reason mm-hmm. and because the stakes are different you really need people who are going to be invested in the process and care about it and not do it just to check a box because you really you aren't just checking a box at that level mm. so I, I guess you know I I'm all for increasing participation and getting more people to do more but I think Personally, there should be other ways to motivate people to get engaged. I mean, we can talk about this a little bit later, but the Charlotte Triage Project that that we did, I think that is a great example of motivating people for a different reason. Not because you're making them do it, but you're coming up with reasons to help encourage people and demonstrate why they should do it. I think that's the preferred approach in, in my view. I agree. And we definitely wanted to dive into the Charlotte Triage Project because I think it's a good example. Tracy, how is that handled in the UK? Is there there an aspirational goal or required goal or not? Neither. It's it's very much left to the individual firms to kind of set their own policies on this. And and we don't have any kind of mandatory hour limits on any level of lawyer within our firm. We very much leave it. We want people to be doing it for the right reasons. We also expect people to be able to autonomously allocate their own time as well you know in terms of the the fee earning work and the pro bono work and that's a good that's a good skill to be tested it's a good muscle to flex because sometimes you have time in your life as a lawyer when it's not the fee earning work it's some other things you need to do and you need to balance those priorities because actually they could be equally important but you may not be earning revenue from one and earning revenue from the other. So it, it is we try and encourage people to do it because it's an opportunity to get some exposure to issues they might maybe not have exposure to for another couple of years until they reach a certain level of seniority. I think the other thing that we do, which we kind of see as part of the pro bono side of things in the UK, is, is volunteering. And one thing we do have, in certainly in, in the UK in our firm, is we give every single employee a day off a year for volunteering paid. They can do what they want with that. It doesn't have to be attached to a firm's initiative or, or a particular charity or anything like that that we support. But we try and encourage them to do things locally that they can then bring back into the business and we can start to share some of that and keep on top of you know what's happening and start to tell some of those good stories because as you say John the thing that really resonated with me about your point there is the thing that makes you feel good some days and you need that so we encourage people to do it but we don't have any mandatory limits but if it makes feel good I mean there's an adage that I use which is if you're having a bad day give some money to charity and if you still don't feel good give some more away until you do (laughs) Uh (laughs) you know but but you can be generous with your time and that's the point that's what you're giving and it's it's a precious commodity and and your experience and your skills and I think the impression that you leave on people when you've given that to them is is something they will never forget actually well you know and you raise a great point pro bono isn't just practicing law without generating revenue You can donate your time, your skill, and experience in a number of ways, whether it's just helping out or mm-hmm. serving on a board where mm-hmm. you may not doing the legal work, but you're yes. helping the organization. You're bringing the way you think about problems and yes. ideas um, or volunteering. Mm-hmm. Those are great examples of other ways you can contribute um, in a quote-unquote kind of pro bono way. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And I mean, I think most of us want to leave the world a little better than we left it. And I think 
pro bono or community service are both ways to kind of accomplish that, particularly if it's not necessarily apparent in our day-to-day mm-hmm. you know, work that we are actually making the world better. I mean, certainly as litigators, sometimes we're, we're fighting about a limited pot of money and we get it or the other side gets it. But you, you can argue about whether it is ultimately you know, improving the whole world. I, I think it's fun, interesting, and, you know, and we need a dispute resolution process. So I may, mm-hmm. I, I would not get rid of litigation, but I do sometimes wonder you know, the, the value add to the world of another you know, 10 hours and a deposition or reviewing documents isn't always apparent mm-hmm. and, and really not always apparent the way it might be if you're a farmer raising you know, food that is going to feed people or a construction worker building a building that's going to house people. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it's sometimes we have to work a little harder to see that actual benefit. Yeah. Maybe not as hard for you, John, given you're working for a company that's that's making some of that equipment that makes uh, <laughs> makes the world work and, uh, yep. and get better. Makes but people I, happy. I think that's, I, uh, I've had a Husqvarna bike in the past, a motorbike, so <laughs> it definitely, definitely made me happy. There you go. <laughs> so so okay. you're bringing happiness there. It's those outside litigators. We don't get to directly you know, put our finger on those things, but no, that's good. I, I mentioned that ABA survey, and I guess I was excited that almost everyone seemed to agree pro bono is valuable. Um, uh, but the numbers are still discouraging, and this seems to be the case year after year. Um, half of the attorneys surveyed had done any pro bono uh, in the last year. Uh, 20% reported they had never done pro bono in their career, which I was just like, wow, that's, that's upsetting. Because uh, if you've never done it, you never see that benefit that the three of us are talking about. And the ABA asked people why. The most common reason cited was they just didn't have time to do pro bono Mm -hmm. work. And I guess I wanted to brainstorm with the two of you. I mean, I hear that some too. And obviously, most lawyers are pretty busy. But, you know, how do you overcome that no time objection? And maybe are there other things going on that uh, keep those numbers where they are with half not doing it in a year and 20% never doing it. It's just That was discouraging to me as someone that thinks this is kind of a duty, certainly a value, something that's beneficial. There are a lot of people that are doing none or very little. My view on not having enough time is, that's a, just to be blunt, it's an easy excuse. The reality is, if it's important to you, you will make the time mm-hmm. to do it. And you need to put it on your calendar, make it a priority. Talk to your employer, whether it's at a law firm or in my case, in my company, and let your manager, your boss, your partner, whoever, know it's important to you and try to gain their support so that they will appreciate that you're going to take some time away from maybe the day-to-day to invest in that and why it's important to the firm or the company, the community. And you just have to make it a priority. And it's easier to, it's easy said than done. I get it. Um, But, for example, where I am, my boss, Jill Jacobson, she always supports. When I say I have to go do, uh, I have to leave to go to a board meeting or there's an event or I'm going to be working on a project, she says, fantastic. I'm so glad that you are taking the time to do it. Um, And she knows that there's an intangible benefit of I'm also bringing the company's name Mm -hmm. out there. Mm -hmm. And to your Mm -hmm. point earlier, it shows that we at Husqvarna value contributing to the community and getting involved. So I do think it comes back to each person needs to say what's important to me and it's important for people around them if like it's important to me personally so when I encounter people I try to let them know what I'm doing and explain to them why it's rewarding to me and hopefully gain their interest get them involved and then it sort of you know plays off you tell two people you tell two people that kind Mm -hmm. of word-of-mouth approach 
Yeah. Right. And I have to add, John's a great ambassador for pro bono work. I mean, I, you've won well, several you. awards that I know of, thank maybe you. more that I haven't. Uh, but when you think about in-house folks doing pro bono, John's on that, you know, short list in Charlotte. And I thank you for that because I do think it raises, um, it raises the overall awareness of pro bono. But I think it's also great to have in-house folks doing it because I think my sense is as a whole, you certainly hear less about in-house lawyers doing the kind of pro bono that, that you've been doing, John. And we'll, and I do want to turn to that before we wrap up about how to get our listeners involved. But before we go there, I did Tracy thoughts on the excuse of I don't have time. What do you tell a lawyer? Yeah, I'm that with says John I'm on this. Busy? I just think it's lazy. I mean, people can find any reason not to do something. If they really want to do it, they'll do it. I think as leaders, and very much a kind of a, a theme for me in my role is the idea of in, really inclusive leadership. It's about empowering people to do the things that, that they feel they need to do to bring their best self to work every day. And I firmly believe that I get the, the highest performance out of my team when they're happy. And sometimes that means accommodating them, needing to do those things, because that's what gives them purpose. Sometimes you don't get closure on a, on a piece of client work that you're doing for weeks at a time. But you can go to one, one school PTA meeting and, and feel like I've, I've helped them get through some really sticky issues in an hour and a half, and you can come away feeling you really delivered good value in that time for right. them, and you've got, yes, nailed it. And that's that feeling when you come out of <laughs> right. the room, right? I think what you do have to do, as John says, is talk about what you're doing and why it was good and how it made you feel. Because I think then that starts to send ripples out across the pond. And the other thing you have to empower people to do and feel comfortable doing is asking for help from their team. So they've got the time to go and do that thing, knowing that whatever is burning at the ranch is in very capable hands. And actually that in itself is an opportunity. So if you get mm. other people feeling like, John's Tracy, they're not invested today, they've gone off to this meeting, they're, they're going off to court to do this piece of work that we're not getting paid for. Okay, well, think about it though. That's an opportunity for you to be doing some work that's been left in your hands. That's a chance for you to step up and, and to get some extra responsibility. So actually that, in the uh -huh. way that someone is doing that pro bono work, they're making space for you to do some other work. Maybe you wouldn't get a chance to do if they weren't off doing that. So you just have to yeah. think about innovative and clever ways to kind of appeal to people's basis human nature sometimes. <laughs> and that means a little bit of clever thinking, but I think you do have to lead by example and lead from the top. And it sounds like Jill's a perfect example mm -hmm. of someone who's doing exactly that. I think that's great. All right. Well, I think we, hopefully we've convinced our listeners that this is worthwhile <laughs> and good. I wanted to turn to some specific examples of things that uh, we can do, in particular in-house counsel can do. And you had mentioned the, uh, the Charlotte Triage Project, John, and I think that's a great example of a partnership between outside counsel like me, inside counsel like you. Tell our listeners a little bit about the, the Charlotte Triage Project. I know we both volunteered uh, with it. Right. So it... The Charlotte Triage Project is sort of the sister to the Richmond Triage Project, where uh, lawyers in Richmond, both private law firms, in-house counsel, and the local uh, legal aid service companies uh, got together and tried to determine how can they expand the amount of pro bono work being completed. And then it came to Charlotte, and the same approach uh, was launched. And we're in our second year, and it's been fabulous. And really, I mean, you have... Law firms like you guys um, have been stepped up and committed a lot of people and resources to it. Uh, we were able to get significant support through the in-house community. Um, the General Counsel of Bank of America really stepped up and put his name behind it, David Leach, and, and really encouraged others 
I mean, he convened a bunch of the in-house general counsels and really explained to them why it was important. As we yeah, were saying, yeah, he yeah, let people yeah. know why it's important. People really responded, and it's been fantastic. And so we are focused last year on three areas, and we've expanded to a fourth area. Um, so it's targeted, and it created an opportunity where both in-house and private lawyers can go in, work on a project together for as long or as little. So you can do a single opportunity, you can do an opportunity mm -hmm. over the course of time, depending on what your need is. We all have different time constraints, um, and it's in different areas. And uh, it, it's been fantastic. The, the two local organizations for Charlotte are the Charlotte Center for Legal Advocacy and Legal Aid of North Carolina. And so partnering with them, because you don't want to get in their way of performing their services, so really trying to make sure we're helping them. Um, and, and I think it's gone well. It can always be improved. And so hopefully it gets bigger and bigger and bigger as we go through the years. Yeah. I mean, the things that really impressed me about it are, first of all, by having a number of in-house counsel involved, you get lawyers that even if they're not necessarily motivated to do good, are motivated <laughs> to be like, oh, well, we want to continue doing work for Bank of America or whatever. You know, the, yep, the business the imperative is. speaks and so to the And so I think it would probably be a good idea for some of our lawyers to show up and, and be involved. So yeah. I think that can be a motivator for folks. The other thing that I think is great about the project, and John kind of touched on this, is you get a lot of good bite-sized pieces. So I'm on the housing mm. team, you know, they <laughs> simply say we're go you know, legal aid's going over and they've got 30 cases on the eviction docket and they just need people to be there to help talk to folks, mm -hmm. figure out who needs a lawyer, figure out how to help them. But it's it's a bite size, it's a few hours, it's two, mm -hmm. three hours, mm -hmm. and you may do that once a month. So it's a pretty manageable time commitment, mm -hmm. which is appealing to me. I've done a few full-fledged pro bono litigation cases, but those that give me a I had one that lasted over three years wow. for very time. And yeah. it's, a, it's a huge chunk. These landlord-tenant ones are pretty manageable. So I felt more comfortable committing to taking a bite, you know, once a month kind of thing as opposed to a real huge case. Well, you raise a really interesting point there because, I mean, we also have to be honest with ourselves in the same way sometimes as the, the work we do as part of our day jobs is sometimes challenging and personally challenging for all sorts of different reasons. In being honest, if you had a, a contact or a colleague who was saying, I'm thinking of getting involved in some pro bono work, tell me about what it's like you have yes we want to give them the positives but you also have to give them the realistic you know sometimes it is going to suck three years out of your life maybe depending on what you get involved in so do either of you have an example of if you like what was the most personally challenging or difficult piece of pro bono work that you've done if you can talk about that in in general terms sure so on the charlotte triage project i'm the healthcare champion so mm -hmm. that's one of our areas of focus mm -hmm. and i am not a healthcare person and we are helping people go through uh, the Affordable Care Act here in, in yeah. the U.S. to help see if there are options for folks to get their uh, medical insurance and it's terrifying because mm -hmm. you feel like if you mess up you're not going to place these folks with mm -hmm. the proper insurance that's available to them but like anything you you go through the training you partner with folks yep. you get through it and then once you do it once or twice you see the benefit, you see folks who are happy and, and in a better place, and you realize, I can do it. Yeah. I mean, you know, we all are somewhat wired a little bit tight mm -hmm. uh, to be lawyers, right? Mm -hmm. And we want to be perfect at what we do. Mm -hmm. So sometimes that risk <laughs> and that challenge of failure is, is a bar. And yeah. so you have to let folks know, hey, I get it. It's not easy, but you work at it, you have support, yeah. you can do it. To me, that was... Very challenging. Yeah. Um, but we got over it, and, and I'm doing it again this year. So. Okay, great. <laughs>
No, that's pretty Not good. Not cut off yet. Right. We yeah. had a case um, that I got through legal services for the elderly, which used to be in Charlotte. And right. I did some work for them that took two and a half years. But we had an elderly couple evicted from a mobile home park. And mm-hmm. it was one of these very unfortunate situations where they had basically leased the, the, the mobile home and the lot and were evicted on a very technical and I felt clearly inappropriate yeah. basis. They had had their granddaughter visit and they claimed she had someone living under their yeah. age. You had to be 55 and over. But then they towed away uh, their mobile home so they couldn't live in it. They didn't have anywhere to move it. They ended up losing the home completely and, you know, had no place to live and had basically no assets. And so we sued the mobile home park. We sued the trailer. And we actually took that all the way to the eve of trial and finally got a settlement that got them back there and some cash and other stuff and really basically had an unfair and deceptive trade practice claim. But it was a long-fought battle. They had lawyers on the other side. I mean, I used, I put as much time into that as many of my other litigation cases (laughs) because it was really you know it was it was substantial and we had depositions and documents but I really felt like you know made a difference and they had Mm -hmm. a place to live and trying to deal with them as they were just trying to survive in the interim period and explain how long it takes to actually get a case on the trial dock at the other side until we actually were on the eve of trial they were unwilling to even discuss settlement most of these cases I would think it settled early but I really felt they they just wanted to outlast them and outspend them and knew that you know, I was just a pro bono attorney and how much time mm. would we uh, fight. So that was a big fight that we ended up you know, winning, but it was a, a major challenge. But and sometimes I guess when, when people have got that much skin in the game that they're, they're willing to take it all the way and maybe they become more tenacious even than some of your, you know, your clients You're in, yeah. because it's, it's less direct and, and immediate to them. So what, do you, what would you say is the kind of the single biggest different client handling skill you have to have when you're doing pro bono work to the, the you're, you, when you're dealing with your internal clients John and, and Mark when you're dealing with with your external clients what's what's the one thing that you have to do differently maybe I think it's the education of the process and system because mm. people are just not familiar yeah. their only exposure to legal or their knowledge of the legal system is through TV mm-hmm. a lot of times mm. and so to really help them understand it's it's really not what it what's yeah. portrayed on TV, this is what's going to happen. It can be time-consuming. It can seem frustrating or unfair. Just really not talking like a lawyer, yeah. explaining yeah. the legal system in non-legal terms yeah. is challenging. Yeah, that is really important. I think, that to me, it's really kind of developing the empathy and a sense of where some of these folks are. I mean, I, I think we take so many things for granted, having a stable street address and an email and a phone. Mm. I mean, they're, they're folks that, you know, are essentially homeless and can't even receive mail, yeah. um, that may not have reliable access to a computer Don't to have check a bank email, mm-hmm. may not have a bank account, are living in fear, are worried about their next meal. Um, those are things that, I mean, there's two things. I'm just, I'm, I'm amazed and horrified at many levels that there are people living like that. Mm-hmm. It does make you appreciate how, quote, normal our lives mm-hmm. are. I'm not worried about mm-hmm. food and where I'm going to sleep, but also trying to put myself in their shoes and explain the legal process, as John said, but also just how they're going to deal with that. Because things that I think are easy, getting to the courthouse on time and showing up is actually a challenge for some of these folks. They're like, well, if I take off work, I'm going to get fired. Or I don't have a car because I don't have a driver's Mm -hmm. license because I lost it some other period. So they're trying to figure out what the bus schedule is so they can get there, Mm -hmm. you know, on time. And then to sit even in our landlord tenant cases and realize they may have to sit there two hours before their case gets called. That's a 
a huge problem because they either are skipping work and not getting paid or don't have childcare, and it's just... That, trying to have empathy I and mean, mm. can't fix all those problems sometimes mm. like oh my god how, how is it how can you live without a without a car and how can your employer not me you know not let you take time off to go to court so you can save your apartment I, I find that hard for me in a way I mean it is gratifying because I'm trying to help people that really need it but it is so different I mean when I'm working <laughs> when I'm working with uh, you know most of my other clients those are not issues right mm. we're all the you're not worried about that very personal very much day-to-day piece and so those are great points you know that's that's a big change for me. Do you get the chance to engage with colleagues in other jurisdictions within the company, John, around things like this? I mean, how much interaction do you have outside of the Americas? With pro bono? Yeah, or? and just you know, colleagues in general where you can, you know, it's about speaking to the culture of the company, right, and what's important to, to the business. We So for the U.S., um, we're in Charlotte, our legal North American yep. team. So we work with our colleagues in Sweden Mm -hmm. and in China and our our company does a similar uh, concept that you explained earlier about volunteering and giving days off and so as a as a legal department uh, we are very intentional about being engaged in the community and doing those sorts of things Um, we have not developed a formal like pro bono program across the entire global Mm -hmm. legal department but people understand that if there is a cause or an organization or something that's important to them, they know that the environment is very supportive yeah. of them doing it. Yeah. John, if we've got listeners that are not in Charlotte or Richmond, but want to take initiative and set up some kind of pro bono program, any, any tips or suggestions for a way to both maybe increase the own pro bono commitment of that department, but also see if they can have an impact on the community? Things, things that your counterparts yeah. in other companies can No, that's do. a great question. I would encourage folks to reach out to their local legal services organizations. There are a number of them across the country. And, and if you can't connect with, if, if you don't know who that is, call your colleagues and find out who they work with in their communities because it's a very tight network Mm -hmm. and you can certainly get referred or directed to people who can help. And then once you're connected, be practical. How can we help you? Not we want to do this without checking, but you know, really ask, what can we do? Learn where there's support that's required and then figure out how you can do it. Or maybe you have different organizations, whether it's through your local bar organization or for me, our local ACC chapter, um, we have a pro bono program and so we try to coordinate our efforts and now to your point that you have to be practical about it it's mm-hmm. time consuming mm-hmm. and if you want to really develop the program it's great and you can but it's going to take some time and you're going to have to get the right people in your community also involved to your point I mean having the general counsel for Bank of America and the general counsel for Duke Energy yeah. uh, come to the table and say this is important to us right. that's very powerful yeah. and so you have to try to find who are people in my community that I might be able to partner with to do that? Um, I think you'll find it's a very receptive environment. The legal service organizations are understaffed. They just don't have the resources. And so they would welcome, more than welcome, any assistance that, whether you're in-house or at a law firm, that, that you could offer to provide. Yeah, and I think when you're really scaling up the pro bono work that you do, and as we've discussed, that can cover a myriad different things that you can include under the pro bono banner. But I think it's really important to have a person who's kind of responsible for trying to coordinate that stuff. And also, 
get the positive message out there. So we actually have an individual within our, within our business in the UK who is the point person for, for all of that. So actually, we, we have some structure around the types of pro bono work that we do. We have to make sure that we're still running our conflict checks and things like that when you do it. So there is a level of you know, admin that, that you have to be sensible about. And the other thing, which is really important, I don't know whether you have this in, in the US, but in the UK, if you're a lawyer who's normally used to advising commercial enterprises, you don't have to go through any sort of special checks because you're not really dealing with what we call vulnerable people. But if you're dealing with then vulnerable clients, you have to go through other checks mandated by the government to make sure that you know, you're, you're the right character. So especially if you're going into mm. schools and doing reading programs, which is something that we do in the UK, you, know, you have to be checked. They have to kind of do background checks to make sure you're, you're a good person. And again, that's something you sometimes need to manage within your business in terms of explaining to people, you're going to have to go through this process. They're going to run some checks on your background. Some things might come out of that. They may not. They may be entirely you know, innocuous things but there is still a process to go through. So actually, some of the pro bono work you want to do, you're going to have to understand there's, there is still a structure you need to do it within. And that's another... Right. You can't just be kind of really casual pro bono because that might get oh, the firm into, good... into trouble as well. And you, you don't want it to undo the good work that you've done. Right. I think that's true. And for, and for those listeners that are in law firms, I think the three things that we've done that I think are the most effective. First, we fairly recently decided that we would count up to 50 hours of pro bono time towards bonus eligibility. Yep, yep. So we had, there was a big debate for a long time about do we count it towards billable hours? Mm -hmm. And some people saying, you know, this is something you should be doing to help the community. It shouldn't count as billable work. We're going to track it separately. We've always counted it as firm hours. I think the compromise we hit on that I think is really is the right one is it counts for bonus eligibility. So, you know, in our firm, you may have associates would have an 1,800-hour minimum, but if they are trying to get to their 1,900-hour bonus eligibility, half of that can be pro bono time. So they can do it. It does. We want to reward it, and a bonus is a reward, but we're not going to say, you know, that you, you are not counting that as part of your base requirement. But it has created more interest. Lawyer, you know, associates are interested in a bonus, so it makes them think about that. And a concrete number 50, which is our state bar aspirational number, we felt was a good number to say that much you can count. We're not going to count unlimited hours, but we're going to count that 50 hours. And I think we've seen an uptick in uh, in work, particularly among some of our salaried lawyers that are eligible for bonus with that. The other thing we did is we started publishing a uh, pro bono newsletter. Mm -hmm. um, it still doesn't come out as often as I'd like just because people are getting busy <laughs> and trying to do it. Yeah. But we highlight what people are actually doing because I think it's it's a twofold advantage. The people that are doing it get that internal recognition of, oh my gosh, this person you know had this complicated housing case or did this expungement or domestic violence. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it highlights those people that are doing what we want and it increases awareness, much like we were talking yeah. about where everyone gets a newsletter and says, oh, I haven't done any pro bono this year, you know, maybe I'll do it. Yeah. Or I didn't know we could do expungement services and I'm going to go help on an expungement project. And then we do have awards too that we will do like at the partner level where um, you'll pick a partner of the year for pro bono. Mm -hmm. I know my partner Jim Cooney uh, won a few years ago for handling a death penalty case. Mm -hmm. He actually took a death penalty appeal, got the conviction reversed and a man is now free that was set to die yeah. um, as a result of his work which whenever I do pro bono I'm like, well gee, I thought I had some, you know, I thought I help someone save their apartment he's literally saved this guy's yeah. life 
Um, but that's Jim Cooney. He's just got that. I mean, he, he doesn't shy away from the, uh, the biggest, highest stakes thing. And I'm always like, wow, okay, well, there's always another level. I'm glad I have people. But I think getting, and I, I doubt that Jim Cooney did it for the award. That's not his personality. But I think at a big partner meeting, to see him get awarded a pro bono award is a message to all of us. The firm really values this. You know, what are we doing to, you know, to earn that award and that ability? So I think you can do things recognition-wise, even if you're not mm. going to mandate it. And I think our core philosophy and respect for individual choices is we're not going to tell you you have to do mm-hmm. recorded pro bono if what you're passionate about is community service or your church or the schools. You can do what you want to do, and I, I, I think that's the right answer. I think forcing it cheapens it somehow, but you can recognize it and encourage it and you know, that's that's our balance, and I'd encourage other firms to think about some of those approaches. Do you do anything to recognize it within Husqvarna, John? Um, I wouldn't say it's a formal recognition, but um, people will will talk about it. Yeah. Um, for example, when we started to participate in the Charlotte Triage Project, our general counsel learned about it and let folks across our department know yeah. that it was important to us and mm-hmm. we were doing it. So it, it's not as maybe official or formal as what you described for the for the law firm but th- there is an awareness of it I, but i think that's great i mean it goes back to creating that environment where it's people know it's supported and i mean the reality is again ideally everyone does it mm. because they want to but the reality is you have to lay out a framework that will maybe give people a little bit of a nudge that's and it. encourage them and then maybe get in those 50 hours and then once they do it now they're in the, yeah. the mix and they enjoy it, they see it, and now it builds upon itself. So I, I think that that's a great approach. You read my mind, that's exactly the word I was thinking of. It's, <laughs> it's the nudge. Sometimes you just need yes. to nudge it in a slightly different direction until it becomes embedded. Right. Yeah. Well, and we've talked about the benefits to yourself and sometimes benefits to your firm. I think we benefit our whole profession when we do it. I mean, I love seeing some of the news coverage of what lawyers are doing. I mean, lawyers' reputation as a whole is not what I would like it to be. Second only but to I think, politicians, you know, maybe, yeah, right now. <laughs> right. I mean, I think that's that's the challenge. But I think as we, if you can highlight some of the good stuff we're doing and people begin to feel like lawyers, there's some lawyers that really want to help, I think we boost that sense of, okay, you know, some lawyers are are okay, some lawyers are doing good things, maybe you can increase access to justice, access to the system, which is a goal we're all fighting for. So I think, you know, it's a yet another reason. I think we feel better ourselves, but we're also promoting, you know, the role of lawyers, the role of law, if if we're doing it. It's so intimidating to go into the legal process without any representation. It just feels scary and unknown. And so giving people that guide you know, is 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 important, and so I think it's. Yeah. it's if you, if, when we were discussing purpose recently within within the firm in the boardroom, and somebody made the very valid point, ultimately we're lawyers, as you said, John, right in your first answer to one of the questions that that Mark asked, it's access to justice. It's you know we we feel like we're the custodians of, of fairness, and it speaks to us on a level in in other people have other vocations, and that matters. So when you don't feel that fairness is being delivered. You want to try and inject it somehow. And whether that, as you say, is for you know, giving kids a chance who maybe need a little help in the, in the classroom to read, which could encourage them to become the lawyers of the future. You know, who knows? Opportunity and fairness, I think, are, are two principles that we hold, all lawyers hold, pretty pretty core to our belief system. So it's important. It's a, it's a chance to do that in a way where, as you say, you can, you can feel good about yourself on a, on a daily basis for having done something that's 
you know it's it's just about helping somebody else right not because of it's going to get you revenue somewhere it's it's a totally different feeling great i know we're about out of time uh, let me any any final comments or summation things other final tips you want listeners to think about as they uh, now that we've motivated them to set up their programs and given them some tips on how to do it, any any you? parting shots, Anything John? I just say, get involved. I mean, that's what I always say when I see folks volunteer, find out whether it's again serving on a board of a nonprofit or volunteering your time to take a, a pro bono lawsuit or getting involved in your local school or church or another organization. Just get involved in the community, and once you do. I think you'll you'll bring people along with you. They'll see it, and it's really a, kind of a grassroots build it up and and, and make it a priority. Mm-hmm. Find the time because mm-hmm. you do have the time. Right, you can just make, have to make the time. Right, you yeah. can make the time. That's yeah. right. Yeah. I don't think I can improve on John's answer there. All right. I mean, sounds good. All. Well, John and Tracy, thank you for joining me. Thank so, you, thanks for listening to this important topic. I really hope you've inspired you with some ideas for reaching out, getting folks involved, forming some partnerships with the legal aid communities, with private lawyers and in-house lawyers. Recognize those programs that you're doing and just think about how to make a difference. You will be better. Your company will be thought of better and the profession will be well served. So get out there, do some pro bono. We appreciate it. Um, remember, if you are interested in previous episodes of the In-House Roundhouse, you can find them and subscribe to this podcast either at our website, WombleBondDickinson.com, or on iTunes, Google Play Store, SoundCloud, or wherever you find your podcast. If you have questions about this episode, if you want more information about uh, the Charlotte Triage Project or what you can do, feel free to email me uh, or message me on LinkedIn or Twitter. Always happy to hear those thoughts. Also looking for topics for future episodes. So let me know what else you want to hear. Uh, This is your in-house roundhouse podcast. Thank you for listening. We'll see you at the next station. In-house roundhouse is a production of Womblebond Dickinson. Brian Ewing is our producer and Robert Daughtry is our audio engineer.